welcome to the Life and Times of Captain Barney Miller podcast. I'm your host, Mike Woy. Joining me is the rookie, Chris Dashew. I am going on strike, Mike. I want to be leaving this place, and I'm taking the rest of the precinct with me. Chris has got the blue flu. Blue flu. I've never heard that term before, did you? On this episode, we're talking about four episodes of the original Barney Miller show, which includes Asylum, Group Home, and Strike Part 1 and Part 2. This is our second two-parter that we've done. I think we kicked off this season with a two-parter as well. Back when everybody was just hanging out at the uh, precinct and Marty was there, and hey, Marty's back in Asylum. Right. Out of nowhere. Here he is. With dope. Yeah. Yeah, that was surprising. Yeah, apparently Marty enjoys a little bit of the doob, a little bit of marijuana. Hey, who doesn't? I don't know. You tell me. It was weird to see him back because I guess I kind of forgot that he was coming back this season because we had talked about him a lot, I think, earlier this season when we were talking about guests who come back to the show. I guess I forgot that he came back again because he's already been back essentially twice. And I guess that whole thing of he and his buddy moving to California just didn't work out because they were still around during the quarantine. And now here they are, or here Marty is with this one. Yeah, and we're never given any idea as to where his friend is, so. Yeah, I wonder if he's going to come back, maybe during the three-parter finale. I don't know, like I said, I didn't really remember he came back for this. Uh, he doesn't really play a big part in the episode, though. He's just kind of there. Well, I guess it's too lend a little bit of sympathy to the character Fyodor Janinsky, who is a Russian who wants to emigrate because he is a homosexual. I didn't realize that's why he wanted to emigrate. I thought he wanted to emigrate because he just didn't like Ru He wanted to defect because he didn't like Russia. Yeah, then it becomes like he's gay. And I don't know how often this was happening in the late 70s because... Me growing up, this was like a thing. There were, I remember there was a the Robin Williams movie, isn't there? Yeah, has, Moscow on the Hudson. Yeah. But there was even a um, uh, a Chapsaki film, and I'm trying to remember. I think it was Jet Li where he was defecting. It was basically the Chinese Moscow on the Hudson kind of thing. And oh, I know that there this was a plot point in a few other TV shows as well. So was it happening a ton in real life and this is reflecting it? I'm not sure. Or is it just a plot device? It could be. Was that a thing that could even happen? I think it must have. Like, would our country take in Soviet defectors? Like, wouldn't they not want to do that for relations reasons? Well, we were in the, the height of the Cold War, and I think it was kind of an F you to Russia to be like, yeah, we'll take you, and you can enjoy all this great American freedom, and screw you, Russia. I mean, I guess, I mean, it, it makes for an interesting plot device. Yeah, and the whole relationship between he and Bolganov, the guy who's trying to take him by force back to Russia, is interesting. And then we've got uh, David Clennon coming in here, which is funny because I just rewatched The Thing last week. Nothing. And seeing him show up, I was like, oh. I, it's funny, he reminds me a lot of Cliff D. Young sometimes. And I actually thought it was Cliff D. Young at first. But very quickly, I was like, oh, no, it's it's the dude from The Thing. And he's doing a great job with this southern accent. And I love this whole, like, well, you know, we've got the guy from Georgia now. And it's like, oh, okay, really planting a flag as far as, like, where we're at in the timeline. 
And he plays Bodhisattva in that one episode that we already talked about. That's right. Haven't we seen him in something else recently that we were talking about? Maybe not for this show. I think, yeah, because we were talking about how he is very outspoken. He's got a blog and he's very left-wing and writes a lot of, of stuff. And I can't remember why we were talking about him, though. He probably has not been in any Rankin and Bass specials. Maybe he was in an episode of Twilight Zone? Yeah, that's kind of what I'm thinking. I don't know. I just feel like we've, I feel like we talked about him recently, right? It's not just me who's thinking that. No, it's definitely not. Maybe it was just from when he was the, the guru, the cult leader on that episode, okay. which was only like two or three episodes ago. I think that was like the last time you and I spoke about Bernie. Abduction was the first one that we talked about in the last episode. That quick. Wow. You weren't kidding. Two episodes in the span of like, you know, four weeks, right? He's good in this episode. I'm not sure he adds anything. Yeah, he just kind of comes in and is very paranoid and being that voice of the government. Though I do like the whole interaction between he and Dietrich, where Dietrich's like, Listen, uh, are you going to be seeing the president sometime soon? I'm going to be flying down to Washington tomorrow. Do me a favor, will you? Tell him Arthur said hey. <laughs> Arthur who? You'll know. Dietrich is the best character on the show now, right? We're at the point now where we're pivoting away from fish. We're going to be talking about the final fish episode for a long time on the next episode. I don't miss him. No, it's funny because he was very much the favorite in those first two seasons, but he's just been kind of fading out now. Yeah, and I realize I don't miss him as much as I thought I was going to. They really hit it lucky with Landisberg, his dry sense of humor. And it's amazing because he's got that dry sense of humor and Yamana has the dry sense of humor, but they don't cancel each other out or make it feel like it's redundant. It's very different, their humor. Not only is it different, but it's also normally those kinds of comedy styles don't work well with each other because they're so similar. Yamada is always kind of the, he's the dry punchline, and Landisberg is not a punchline guy. He's like Stephen Wright, right? We talked about this before, where it's like, it's just the joke itself is the joke. There is no punchline. Let me tell you this thing that will be funny. It's not necessarily a joke. Like, you know, tell, you know, tell the president I said hi. It's not a joke. That's just like a funny thing that he said because he's a weirdo character. I'm going to court next week. I have been selected for jury duty. It's kind of an insane case. 6,000 ants dressed up as rice and robbed a Chinese restaurant. I don't think they did it. I know a few of them and they wouldn't do anything like that. You can't really figure out what this guy's deal is. Like, he is very smart and everything, but, like, yeah, what's his background? Why does he know all this stuff? Yeah. When he tells that character, he's like, tell the president I said hi. Is he joking? If I watch this show the way I watch the show, and you and I watched an episode together here because we were we kind of got our got ahead of ourselves without doing a second episode for the finale, I realized you and I laughed a lot at the same stuff, which was Landisburg. Every time I laughed at it, all I can think is, like, even now, is, like, is he an actual, like, character out in the world, or does he exist in the police station? Because he's such a strange character, it almost feels like him existing outside of 
the boundaries of the show is almost unrealistic. Like, does he talk to everybody like that? I guess he must. Like, but like, you figure someone like that walking down the street would get like socked in the face constantly. Maybe, yeah, yeah. He's just a strange dude. Now, is this the one where Harris is investigating his roots? Because it feels like we're missing a B story with this one. This is the one. This is the Roots episode. Which is pretty darn funny. Andrea just got a uh, a 23andMe kit, and I was just like, oh, there has to be an African in there somewhere. Well, yeah, I mean, I did a 23andMe, and there's it's like 0.03% or something. It's there. I mean, it's there. I, I, yeah. But it's not in Harris's no, background. I, what? What? And then they gets the crest later on. Yeah. <laughs> With all the tartan in it. Yeah. Oh my god. No, Harris Harris finding out what his like family is is pretty funny. You know, it's that question of like if you find out and it's not what you want, how do you feel then? And it's like, well, there you go. Like don't an- don't ask that question if you don't want that answer. It's a good I think it's a good B story though. And I love how upset he gets. I love when Ron Glass gets upset in this. Yeah. He just he he loses his cool so funny because he's so cool otherwise. What I love about Ron Glass is that my frame of reference for him is so was so narrow before this show, and now I know the thing he should be known for. Like he should not be known for Firefly. Other than the fact that it's not a very good show, like it's a shame that that's what most people know him from. One one hundredth of what his talents were were being shown on that show. If that, compared to something like Barney Miller. Yeah, and he was into a lot of other very cool things. I remember, gosh, he had something to do with the restoration of the spook who sat by the door, I think. And yeah, he had been in just a, a ton of good stuff. Yeah, he's a great actor. He's a great actor in this. I mean, he's... One of the mainstays of the show. He's a series regular for a reason. I'd kind of like to go back and watch the $10,000 Pyramid and Hollywood Squares that he was in. Oh, was he on that? Oh, yeah. A bunch of times. I do remember him on $10,000 Pyramid, and he was really good. Yeah, that would be interesting to see. It would be interesting. I mean, did any of these other actors ever show up on stuff like that? Oh, I'm sure that they did. I want to say that Max Gale might have been on, like, the um, oh Battle of the Network Stars, those kind of things. I would love to see Max Gale and, like, Charles Nelson Riley interact. I mean, they would be working at the same time, right? We both remember that um, Max Gale is super political and very into, like, Native American causes. Actually, I'm looking and... He was on some episodes of the $10,000 Pyramid, and I think he was on the same episodes that Harris was. So that's, oh man, I'm going to have to set my uh, my recording on the game show network. And he was also on Super Password. It's an all-star Super Password special. A salute to Barney Miller with Ron Cherry. Gregory Sierra! Max Gale! And Hal Linden! And the star of Super Password, Bert Cundy! That is a thing now, but it's not a thing like it used to be. Apparently Hal Linden was on some stuff as well, so... Like Hollywood Squares and Tattletale. 
three celebrity couples. So he was on there with his wife. Oh, Barbara Barry? No, no, his like real wife, real wife. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, I, he supposedly has a wife in this show, but you know, I don't know. She doesn't show up very much anymore. <laughs> She's not even in the fucking credits anymore. Landisberg was on the Hollywood Squares Daytime Edition. Man, oh man, I'm gonna have to really start watching uh, that game show network again. That, I mean, I love watching some of those old shows, and to see some of these guys would be fantastic. What about? All-Star Family Feud special, Barney Miller versus Eight is Enough. Really? Uh-huh. And then that's the same episode as Welcome Back, Cotter versus Soap. That is a great double billing. It's time for the All-Star Family Feud special. Introducing for the first game, the Barney Miller family. Hal Linden, Ron Carey, Ron Glass, Steve Landisberg, and Jack Sue. Ready for action. And Jack Sue was also on Hollywood Squares. That's amazing. Yeah, we need to track this uh, Family Feud episode down. I I genuinely want to watch this because if it's if it's the people I think, then that's oh my god, that would be so cool. I wonder if Darren McGavin ever did any stuff like that. We never looked. It's a little different because like I don't know, it's a different kind of show. I don't know how we never thought about this as a thing. There's a reason that these actors are going and being on game shows. It's because they're fucking hilarious people, clearly. You know what I really want to talk about? And I know that, you know, I, I'm not sure if we're done talking about this episode, but can we talk about George Murdoch in the next episode? Because I'm really confused. The return of George Murdoch, correct? The return of George Murdoch, not as the character that he's going to return as that he's already played on the show. And I was convinced when we were when I was watching this episode, I was convinced that I had seen him on this show before, but I must be mistaken. Because when he showed up the first time, I thought he was in the police station. And I was right. Oh, wait. No, I take that back. I take that back. Because I'm thinking of the guy who was the ROTC guy who was in Happy Days. He was the one who was hitting, uh, or who was talking about how uh, sexy Bernice is. Right. Not that guy. So, okay. Yeah. But yeah, Scanlon had been, God, that was all the way back in Block Party. Yeah. Yeah, and he was being a total dick to Wentworth, and then um, Harris was writing that newspaper or uh, inner office um, story about her. Yeah, okay. He shows up a bunch of times as the same character, except for this episode. I wonder if he's like, because Luger's starting to really warm up, and we'll talk about that, especially in a few minutes when we talk about the strike episode, but if feels like maybe Scanlon is going to take over that hard-ass role that Luger was initially starting to be. It was strange, right? It was strange, yeah. Him just showing up. Yeah, and everyone just being like, I expected someone to be like, why are you in the military now? And I, and I say all of this because I don't understand the point of his character. Well, he's there for a couple things. He's there to report that his army recruiting station was threatened by the one and only Don Kalfa, who is, oh, I love that guy. And he's also there to make all of these racist remarks to Yamana. And I love that Yamana's just like, fuck you. Hey, I was in the army, 442nd Division. We were, you know, the Nisei outfit. And uh, he's just like, oh, well, you didn't care who won then, did you? And it's like, but I love how Nick just gives it back to him as much as he gives. I find that character to be just the fucking 
But some of that stuff is kind of what Luger would have said, you know? That's the thing. I, I think to your point, like, James Gregory is just too lovable of a human being to be hated. But I can't stand this this guy. And that's the intention, obviously. He's a real he's a real asshole. Capital A asshole. And you know what Phil Leeds says? Torquemada. You can't Torquemada anything. That's all I think of Phil Leeds from whenever I see him is that you can't Torquemada anything. That's him in History of the World Part 1 that says that. I'm like pretty sure, but I wasn't entirely sure. That guy has been around forever. I mean, you know, we've talked about this before, how much we love these character actors that show up in this show, and he is one of them. He is such a great face. And again, he was in here in the Rain episode. He's another reoccurring. He's one of these guys that comes back as a different character, though, every single time. This episode is chock full of people. We haven't even mentioned the fact that the two children show up again, unfortunately. In John Cassisi's case, his character is just really unlikable. Major unlikable. And he's just got that attitude. I'm really looking forward to fish, Mike. <laughs> Are we going to have to like do a separate podcast? Just call it the fish cast? Oh, God. We'll call it the Chris and Mike have had enough cast. The problem with his character is the attitude that he has is so off-putting. I mean, it's appropriate that his photograph on IMDb is from Bugsy Malone, because he just throws off that type of, like, hey, I'm a little gangster kind of guy, and it's like, dude, I could squash you like a bug. <laughs> and you know what? If you've never seen what John Cassisi looks like, he looks like a child gangster, and he looks like an adult goofball. He didn't grow up into a guy who looks like a gangster. He grew up into a guy who just looks like a guy now. But for some reason, he looked like a child gangster. <laughs> And if you've ever seen Bugsy Malone, my God, he's cast perfectly. I was thrilled to see James Cromwell show up in this as well as the uh, sketch artist, the police sketch artist. It was interesting to see him show up because, again, I think a lot of people maybe don't realize how long he's been acting. Born in 40, so he's 81. Yeah, he had a few roles before Babe, Pig in the City, or Babe, I should say, not Pig in the City. A few, few roles before L.A. Confidential. He's still acting. James Cromwell's, I mean, he's one, he's one of the great character actors. Without a doubt. I mean, he's even been in another show that we talked about. He was in Twilight Zone 1985. A message from charity. And he's going to come back, I think, three more times after this? All his different characters again. Oh, man. Yeah, it would kind of be great, because I love this character of the sketch artist who is so turned off of doing police sketches, and he's just like, oh, I studied in Paris. <laughs> I be back in Paris, like, oh, man, what a miserable bastard. Like, James Cromwell's a fantastic actor. There's not a lot of amazing moments to it, but I definitely laughed quite a few times. Well, and the fact that they have all these actors together at one point is, like, pretty awesome. Like, they have a bunch of really well-known, fantastic character actors smashed into the same set. Like, it's unfortunate because this also is, like we've mentioned, this is the last Fish episode for a very long time, aka one more episode, and then he's gone, right? I mean, will he be back in Goodbye, Mr. Fish? He has to be, right? I guess I don't really count that because that's the episode where he's like, they're making a big deal out of him leaving. It's my internal stupid logic. Like, that doesn't count in my mind because, like, that's an episode where they're making a big deal out of him leaving. Like, this is the last, like, just whatever episode, right? Just like an episode of the show. 
And to be fair, he only comes back in the second part of that Goodbye Mr. Fish episode. So he's in part two, and then he's in Lady and the Bomb, and that's it. This is one of three. They don't make a big deal out of it. They don't even mention it in the Strike episode. Like, where is Fish? Oh, well, in the Strike episode, they say that he's got the actual flu. And Barney even points out, like, yeah, he really is sick. It's not the blue flu that he has. In the Strike episode, it feels like this has been a long time coming because they've had several of these, we're going to lay off police officers, and we've even seen some of that stuff. But now it's finally them saying, listen, we're tired of this stuff. We're going to go out on strike and protest all of these horrible conditions that we have. And it's that same shitty New York that we've been talking about as far as like, now it's not Ford to New York drop dead. Now it's more like Carter to New York drop dead. It's like, okay, good luck, guys. We need to protest these awful conditions that we're having. This, you know, episode strike one and two feels like a direct response to the Rand Report episode, which was like two episodes ago, two or three episodes ago of our show. So it it feels like a direct response, which I appreciate in this show. I mean, I appreciate that there is a little bit of kind of like continuity with the things that the characters are going through. They're not just forgetting about it. I appreciate that. I think this is a better two-parter than the first two-parter we got this season. I think so, too. It feels like a lot more stuff happens in this as well. I mean, the quarantine one, I mean, they spend so much time just trying to be comfortable to fall asleep. (laughs) This show is almost a bottle show in a lot of ways, but that episode really felt like a bottle episode. Even for this show that's really only set in one location. The Strike episodes are making me want to go back and rewatch 9 to 5 because both Peggy Pope who plays the Lonnie Lang or Lana Lang character and then Peter Hobbs who plays the Charlie Prevet character they are both in 9 to 5 which I watched a ton when I was growing up and I love that movie I haven't seen it in forever but hopefully if I revisit it I'll still love it as much Peggy Pope, I thought for sure we had seen her in other things, but I think I was mixing her up with Candy Azara. She has that same kind of, kind of, not necessarily the same odd voice, but she's got a little bit of more of a lilt in her voice. And this whole thing of what she gets robbed. And is it on a date? Like her date actually robs her? I guess so. We have seen her before, Mike. We have. Okay. When? Tooth and Consequences. Oh, yeah, that's right, on Twilight Zone. Who played the Tooth Fairy on that one? It was Arnold. That's right. Yep. 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 I I felt like, I was like, she's got to have been in something, because she's just too familiar. Yeah, she was in that really bad episode. And then Peter Hobbs, his voice, more than anything, I'm just like, I know this guy's voice. And I know I've seen him in a ton of things before, but I'm trying to think, like, was he on, like, I don't know, Lou Grant or something like that? Like, why do I know his voice as well as I do? Maybe it was just... He was yeah, on Lou Grant. He was on Lou Grant. I just looked him up. Okay. There's your, there's your answer. I wouldn't be surprised if he was on an episode of Twilight Zone, frankly. He actually was on an episode of Twilight Zone. Not only that, he was in an episode of The Twilight Zone in the same set of episodes with the other actress from this episode, Peggy Pope. 
Oh, he was in to see the Invisible Man, which was so good. Yeah, that was the it was the elevator to see an Invisible Man and Tooth and Consequences. I wonder if he played the blind guy in the, to see the Invisible Man, the guy that our main character sits down with. I think he did. He's a great actor. I mean, he's good in this. He's kind of not given he's kind of not given much to do other than scream and be crazy in the cell. Yeah, he does a lot of that. Yeah. Can we talk about Levin? Ron Carey. Richard, if you're listening to this, my opinion has not changed. He's even worse in this episode. In a lot of ways. To me, he's not as bad as the last time we saw him with that whole, like, oh, whatever you say, sir, and just that kind of, like, nod and wink type thing that he was doing to Barney. Like, really just kind of dismissing him and not taking anything that he's saying seriously. And at least in Strike, Barney confronts him with that and says, you know, you don't listen to people when they're talking to you. And then he doesn't do anything, though. Yeah, and he doesn't even get it. He's just like, what? I was, you don't like that I was scratching my nose? You don't like that I didn't have a tissue? And Barney's just like, fuck you, and just walks away. He's just, he does not ingratiating himself to the audience. He's really not ingratiating himself to the actual characters on the show. They, I think they see him as a total annoyance, the way the audience does. The Strike episodes really have a lot of Luger, a lot of Levitt, and a lot of Barney. And had you said to us a year ago, this is a very Luger-heavy episode, we would have been like, oh, God. But, you know, we both come around very much on Luger. Maybe in a year from now, we'll be like, oh, remember when we hated Levitt? But who knows? We'll see how that goes. I hope Richard was right. I mean, again, Richard said we would come around, and I trust Richard. Richard has seen this entire show, and more recently than either one of us have, so... Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed, because, man, he's just a dead weight anytime he shows up. He's just not funny. He steals any humor out of the scene. He's kind of just standing around, and I know that that's kind of the point, but it's not funny. And, like, the way that they write him is... I assume they're intending to get us to start liking him because they realize that he's going to be added to the show. Maybe the audience at the time liked him. That would be a question for our good friend, Mr. Otto Bruno. I just don't find the comedic stylings of one Ron Carey to even be half as funny as the comedic stylings of Steve Landisberg, who's the other addition to the show. Speaking of Mel Brooks, because you just brought up the history of the world part one, I do remember really liking Ron Carey in High Anxiety, which is not a good movie, but I remember him having a funny bit about carrying Mel Brooks's suitcase. Dr. Thorndike? Dr. Richard H. Thorndike? Who are you? Oh, I'm Brophy. I work at the Institute. I came to pick you up. I'm going to be your driver and sidekick. I'll get the trunk. Oh, it. I got it. I got it. I got it. I ain't got it. I'll get it. Okay. I got it. I got it. I got it. I ain't got it. I got it. I got it. I got it. I ain't got it. Where's the car? Over there. Would you mind opening the trunk? I'll open the trunk. I'll save us a little time. Okay. You got it. You got it. You got it. It was a good bit, but it's not coming through in this as far as his humor levels go. And he's in History of the World Part 1, too, right? 
I think so. I haven't seen that one in forever either. He plays the other character next to Gregory Hines Swiftest in the in the in the Rome vignette. I definitely remember Gregory Hines in there, and I think that was one of the first times where I finally got a circumcision joke. What time? Twelve o'clock. I, I that's I think it's a Mel Brooks movie that it's not it's not talked about the same way a lot of his other movies are. Which is unfortunate because it's pretty funny. I hope Ron Carey, man. We're going to be stuck with him otherwise for like five more seasons or four more seasons. To the bitter end. But James Gregory, I'll tell you what. Funny cat. Funny cat. And this is that episode where he tells Barney, you know, if I ever had a son, I'd like him to be like you. Which, you know, this is that moment I think that Otto was talking about where it's like, we've got some chemistry going on here between these guys and really seeing how Luger is reaching out to Barn. And Luger could have had a son the age of Hal Linden because they're 20 years apart. So, which is funny because, man, I will tell you. I can't tell what age Hal Linden is in this show. He's such a good-looking dude. Like, we have a family friend. He just has aged really well. And he, our family friend is in his 80s. And he looks like he's in his 60s. Like, Hal Linden, I guess at this time he's late 40s. But he doesn't look it. Like, I can't tell what age he is. I think it's got to be the mustache. He looks a lot better at his age than I do at mine, and I'm in my late 40s. I don't go. Don't say that about yourself, Mike. I don't have that cool mustache, though, either. You have the goatee. You have the knowledgeable man goatee. He has the policeman's mustache. I like that soup strainer he's got. Yeah, he's got. I like how Luger's like maybe not the mustache. Like, okay, you pork pie hat wearing motherfucker. <laughs> like the mustache is the power, dude. It's so funny because, you know, we just were talking about James Gregory when we talked on the last Rankin on Bass episode, and he's doing such a voice when it comes to Luger. Like, that is not his speaking voice. When you hear him now, you're just like, wow, okay. What you were saying just now, I wish I had brought it up on that Flight of the Dragons episode, but I'm glad that we're, I mean, we're talking about it the next day, so it's perfectly fine, but... I really expected when that dragon with his voice opened his mouth, I was expecting it to sound like his character on this show. And I was like, wait, no, you're telling me that the voice in this show is a put on? Like you hear him as General Ursus in those Planet of the Apes movies. He sounds nothing like he does in this. And it's like, I guess I just didn't realize that this was as much of a character as anything else. Yeah, that whole, you know, his whole thing and, you know, got him having that little dream sequence or like him laying on the couch dreaming. And uh, it's like, okay, what are you thinking of here, Inspector? I am absolutely in love with this man as a, as a character. He's so good. And after Barney Miller, he has nothing else. Like, it's kind of sad. I love him coming out of Barney's office mid punchline of that joke. It's just like. This really works. Yeah. Luger has turned that corner, and I'm now in love with Luger. Yeah, he doesn't do much after Barney Miller, but that's because he worked 40 goddamn years before that. So, like, this guy started his career in 1948. So, I mean, good lord. Well, and one of his best roles was kind of buried for a while, the Manchurian Candidate. He is absolutely fantastic in that. Oh, I've never seen the original one. I really recommend it. He's basically the the husband to, I guess it would be the Meryl Streep character. Uh, I can't remember who plays that 
character in the the remake. Yeah, the politician who's trying to get ahead, basically. Gotcha. So he's he's the he's the bad guy. Um. Well, she's really the bad guy, isn't she? The the mother. Oh, that's right. Okay. So yeah, that makes sense. I could see him in that role. A lot younger than this. Yeah, that was what sixty two, I think, when that one came out. So. So we're we're another, you know, 13, 14 years past that now. You know, speaking of Luger, I do like that he's here in this episode because it makes sense to have him here for this, for what this episode is talking about, right? Well, and this whole thing, too, where he kind of reverts to the old Luger ways, too, when he's just like, you know, hey, you guys didn't show any loyalty to Barney, and remember, I'll remember this when it comes time for promotions. It's like, okay, yeah, all right, that's that's the Luger we know talking, yeah. Is that also how we're led to believe that Levitt gets promoted? Levine? Is that what it is? Maybe? I I don't, well, he's never going to make detective. I think he's always playing clothesman. Oh, really? I think so. Are you serious? I thought he, like, is a major part of the show. Yeah, but he's always coming up from downstairs, I think. Oh. Yeah, I don't think he ever gets made detective, but I guess we'll find out. I mean, can you imagine that piece of shit being a detective? Yeah, no. He's not going to sit around the bullpen with the rest of the guys. God. Oh, thank God. Okay. Well, now I'm a little bit more excited that he doesn't. Okay. I thought he became, like, one of them in the precinct. I don't think so. I really don't think so. So he's just going to be a nuisance. Kind of like Luger. In the series finale, he finally gets promoted to sergeant. Oh, good. So, yeah. So, yeah, the rest of the time he is Officer Carl Levitt. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, this is why he's such a bootlicker in this fucking episode. <laughs> Levitt is a diminutive, obsequious, uniformed officer who constantly, passively, aggressively... Badgers Miller about being promoted. <laughs> that kind of sums them up. Yeah, pretty much. I need to know nothing else about the character until it gets promoted to know that that's exactly who he's going to be up until that moment. I was very glad in the first strike episode when, uh, so they do get the call about fish being out with the real flu, but he also gets a call from Sergeant Kogan, who is a, um, the desk sergeant that we saw in like the first couple seasons, he just showed up here and there. And I think the the actor's name is Kogan, Mitt Kogan or Milt Kogan, right. I think it might be. So it's just like, oh, Kogan called off. And it's like, oh, how many more? And I think he even, yes, they mentioned Wentworth, I think. They mentioned Chano. They mentioned Chano. That's what it was. And I was just like, oh, my God, they mentioned Chano. They haven't mentioned Chano since season one. <laughs> he was out after season one, right? Yeah, one and two. Okay, so he he just hasn't been in this season at all. And here we are, the final two episodes of this season, and they finally throw Chano out there. Yeah. yeah. He's striking too. So is Detective Mike. Mike's out there too. Carrying the big sign. Yeah, yep. it, yeah it's, I think it's a fun... It's a fun episode. I, I think the second episode ends on a pretty funny note where they're all like, let's clear the air. And they're kind of, you know, ragging on each other and saying, well, I don't like it when you make fun of my coffee. And that was very good. I don't get it. I don't like get. I mean, I'm assuming that was just for a laugh. They're actually not going to stop making fun of his coffee. Like, Oh, no, yeah. no. Well, I like that. They don't say anything. And he's just like, shut up. I like the uh, the thing. What is it that Wojo says where he's like, I'm sick of you talking down to me with your big words and your. 
your big attitude and your nice clothes. And uh, what is it? Landisberg is like, I thought you meant me until the clothing part off the rack. I never got like any heat between Harris and Wojo, though. No, not really. They, they just kind of threw it in there. I mean, I could see those guys not getting along because they are just so diametrically opposed. Right. I think I like the second part of the episode more than the first part. I think so, too. Yeah. It was a lot, it was it was a really good episode. Like it's a good two part. It's a good way to end the season. Definitely, yeah. It's kind of nice that they even throw that open as far as like, well, this is the last time we're probably going to have this conversation. It's like, yeah, you're probably right. Things aren't going to go back to normal anytime soon until the budget get fixed. And they've given themselves an out as to how they can explain why the strike stops because the show is now end of third season. And I will tell you, I did not at all reiterating this i didn't miss a vagoda in this episode at all honestly i couldn't have even seen him in this episode the fact and we didn't even really talk about a vagoda's thing in the last episode and that's my fault for jumping ahead to the george murdoch thing but a vagoda cross dresses that's the last one of the last times we see him on this show that's right and that's that's where um yeah, you brought up the one actor, Leeds, Phil Leeds. And I was like, how did he come into the show again? I was like, oh, yeah, he actually was hitting on Fish when Fish was dressed up. But when they showed him in drag, or cross-dressing, however you want to put it, it's pr- I guess he's in drag. I, I was like, I- I'm kind of glad you're not going to be on the show anymore, because like this isn't, it's not that this isn't funny, but like everything else in that episode was funny except for that. And it's not because he was, like, dressed as a woman. It's because all the jokes around it weren't funny. Like, you know, John Cassisi or then Jilly Papalardo just showing up to be there. I was kind of hoping that Florence Stanley would have had a little bit more and been like, you know, oh, here, wear this brooch instead and, like, gave him different tips on his wardrobe or something. Because, frankly, they were dressed a little bit similarly. So I would have liked, like, had she looked at him and him wearing the same coat as her or something like that. Look, I know we're going to watch a little bit of Fish. I don't know how much we're going to watch. But the people involved, I'm excited to watch it because I like Abe Vigoda, but I don't need Abe Vigoda to enjoy this show. This season, I would say it's been pretty apparent that we don't need Abe Vigoda to enjoy this show because he hasn't been around a lot this season. No, he's constantly out. And yeah, Landisberg has just fit right in there and made this transition a lot easier. I really am excited and glad to look forward to Steve Landisberg for the next four seasons of this show. This season, I think when we started this season, I was a little worried about the loss of fish, but now sitting here at the end, okay, go take care of your children at your house. Like, I don't know about you, but that group home episode put me off to watching fish. Like, it didn't do what I think they wanted it to do, which was be like, I can't wait to see what shenanigans they're going to get into off screen. I was like, I could not care less. Had it been about Fish's daughter and Dietrich and the original pilot idea that we kind of saw float past our eyes, I would have been way more into that than what we're seeing, because these kids are so obnoxious. Oh, yeah. These child actors, like John Cassisi, again, not the best part of Bugsy Malone, not even close. He's just a weird kind of addition to that movie. That movie is good for the wrong reasons, frankly, because it's weird. And the the child female actor, Denise Miller, just like she doesn't even say anything. 
She was barely in this. They let John Cassisi do all the funny stuff, which wasn't funny. For the listeners at home, I'm rolling my eyes when Chris said the funny <laughs> stuff. Yeah, all the hilarity in 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 the in the show that will be fish. Yeah, I'm excited to watch it because I'm excited to see how bad it is in a way. But I am hopeful that it is not as awful as the group home episode because the group home episode is probably up there for me with some of the least interesting episodes this season because the A plot is just bad. Yeah, and what are these A and B plots going to be like in the fish show? Yeah, boy. Did you like this season, though? I think overall I did enjoy this season. I mean, we did get to, to be introduced more to Dietrich, I think was good. I'm looking back at some of these episodes. This is the hash season, so... This was the hash season, yeah. It has the quote-unquote best episode of the show, so there is that. I mean... Gonna take a lot to beat it. Looking back at the season, I can't remember one that really sticks out at me as bad? I mean, there were some weird ones, like the recluse, where they murder the guy for t- taking him out of his house. Kill the guy by accident. I mean, it is funny to see Smog Alert, the Rand Report, and then the, the strike things. It's just like, yep, it, this was kind of a reflection of what was going on in the U.S., or at least in New York at the time. Yeah, and I'm glad that the show kind of tackles it head on. If you're going to make a show about police officers in the 70s in New York... And all this strife is going on in New York, you would be kind of dumb to ignore it. I think, personally. I don't see a point in ignoring it. And they seemed to, at least in these two episodes, I don't know how much more it's going to show up in the show, but they, they made it funny in these two episodes. They told a story that I think worked for the most part. A Vagoda's absence notwithstanding. And looking ahead to season four, I mean, we do have one of the first episodes directed by Max Gale, Wojo's Problem, coming up. That's exciting. That's amazing. I can't wait. I, I'm Look, I mean, the first two episodes of the next season are Goodbye, Mr. Fish, part one, part two. And then he is, is our favorite episode of this season the same one? Hash? It has to be, right? I think so. I mean, I mean, it's still one I quote from, you know, yeah. has anybody seen my legs? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a hilarious episode. I would say probably a close where some of the bits in, what's the one where they, they're betting? That wasn't Sex Circuit, was it? Uh, that was just recent. Yeah, that was, was it more, was it not as recently as we thought? That's, a, I mean, that's a great episode. It's a great episode of television. And you, and you can watch it without having any idea who any of these characters are. Because they're painted with such a broad brush that it doesn't, it, you don't have to know the intricacies of who Yamana or Harris are to understand that these are all pretty straight laced cops, for the most part, getting high off their asses. It, it makes it more rich if you do know who these people are. But I agree that you don't have to. No, you could put that episode on and people would think it's funny. And, and they would laugh. And they would laugh and they wouldn't be like looking at the person who put it on to be like, should I find this funny? They'd be like, yeah, this is pretty funny. I think this is a great season. I think, to your point, this is kind of the season that I'm probably going to measure the other seasons against for the time being. Yeah, we'll see how the next five seasons go. Well, until we come back and say goodbye to Miss, Mr. Fish and talk about some bugs, which are not the type of bugs that I would think would be in the 12th Precinct, Chris, where can people find you and keep up with your work? C-S-T-A-C-H-I-W.com is my link tree. That's where you can go. Mike and I do another show together with a friend of ours called Dreams for Sale. And, uh, Mike, you and I, uh, you know, we show up on each other's main podcasts from time to time. 
as well. And we do another show with uh, Richard Adam, which we've mentioned, Ranking on Bass, which an episode of that does feature James Gregory. We talk, I don't even talk at length about him, but we talk about him. But uh, yeah, that's where you can uh, find me. What about you, Mike? Well, as always, you can find me over at projectionboothpodcast.com, which uh, I think when this one comes out, uh, we might be talking about horror movies. It might be Shocktober by the time this one hits. Regardless, it'll be a themed month. I'm kind of stealing your lunch a little bit when it comes to, to theme months. I did not come up with the idea to do theme months, so steal away. Uh, I want to thank John Walker for our theme music. I want to thank everybody who I want to thank everybody for listening. Please, if you can, leave us a review over on iTunes or wherever you get this podcast. It will help us fight crime. Season three is in a wrap. That's in the bag. I can't believe it, man. This is just flying by. <laughs>